Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about anxiety and anxiety in relationships. But before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I am not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you have any questions about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. So today I am so excited and honored to welcome Dr. Asin Sheikh. Dr. Sheikh comes to us from uh, San Jose, California, and is a psychiatrist uh, practicing over there. And I will let you introduce yourself. Yes, hello everyone. It's great to be with you, uh, Dr. Lodi, and it's great to be with your your listeners. Um, I'm a psychiatrist. I've been a child and adolescent psychiatrist and an adult psychiatrist in the Bay Area uh, for over 20 years. And uh, you know, my practice um, has included working in the uh, community, uh, meaning in the public sphere, also in private practice, um, and. Uh, it's been great to uh, have like a variety of clients in this in these regards, and really excited to be with you guys today. All right, great. Well, thanks for being here with us. So, I am excited to get right into the topic and start uh, just with maybe if you could let our viewers and our listeners know what exactly anxiety is and how it can show up in a relationship. Yeah, great question. Um, and, you know, I think that the main problem people have with anxiety is uh, they try to get rid of it. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that we have the wrong idea about what anxiety actually is, as if it's like this disorder and sort of the goal is just to kind of eliminate it. And what happens is people become very frustrated because it keeps coming back. And the reason it comes back is because it's an essential part of being uh, a living being. Um, And just to take a step back, you know, if we really think about it, not even just us as people, but any living being, even just a tiny little amoeba, right, has to survive. And it has to have a mechanism to survive. And anxiety is really the outcome of our brain's efforts to keep us alive. And... Um, so therefore it's going to be highly resistant to going away. It's this protective energy that is very, very kind of instinctive and inside of us. Um, it comes from part of our brain. Um, there's a name for it, the amygdala. And that part of our brain really has like two functions to kind of perceive threats, right? Like, is there a threat around? And then to mobilize us to escape it. And this is what a lot of people are familiar with, sort of our fight or flight response. It's mediated by a chemical, a chemical, there's two actually, cortisol and adrenaline. Cortisol sort of mobilizes resources for us and adrenaline basically shifts the blood in our system. 
it shifts the blood from our digestive tract where it kind of usually is hanging out when we relax, you know, we can kind of eat and are, um, you know, not at any kind of danger. It suddenly within less than a second mobilizes all that blood to our arms and legs. Why? So we can take off and run or we can fight back. And so this is like a automatic part of our brain. A good part of our brain is automatic. We don't have to ask it to do this. It will automatically sense threats and give us this sort of adrenaline rush. And that's truly what anxiety is. It's a protective energy inside of us. And we'll go into techniques a little bit later, but one of the biggest techniques is almost like crossing off that word from your vocabulary, that I have anxiety and replacing it with this idea that I have this very protective energy inside of me. And it can be uncomfortable, especially, especially if it gets what I call trapped and not expressed. But there's nothing inherently dangerous or bad about it. So I know that was a long answer to a very simple question you had asked, you know, what is anxiety? But I think understanding its true nature is the first step towards actually freeing yourself from feeling uncomfortable from it. Right, right. There is definitely a lot of stigma around uh, people that have anxiety or people that say, you know, I just I just have a lot of anxiety. I need to do something for it as if it's um, something really bad. Right. And so it's it's nice that you can destigmatize it and change the wording around it. You know, that I think really helps in kind of answering the question of what anxiety is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, you know, nobody feel nobody wants to have it because it's uncomfortable, right? So naturally, anything that's uncomfortable, we try to get away from. So it's natural to want to just sort of avoid it. But like I said, because it's so intrinsic, it won't just go away. It has to kind of be heard and Mm. dealt with and expressed. And there's a variety of techniques that we can talk about. Um, But you had asked also about, you know, the impact on uh, relationships, uh, and I know your, your, your podcasts are very much devoted to, um, you know, sexual intimacy, intimacy. So um, yeah. let, let's, let's talk about that. And let's kind of look at, again, what is the function? The function of anxiety is to protect us and to mobilize us. So one of the ways it does that is it speeds us up. It speeds up our heart rate and it speeds up our brain. Why does it do that? Because again, mm. it thinks there's an immediate danger and that we don't have time to really slow down and figure it out. Otherwise we'll be dead, right? So because it kind of injects in our system, it speeds up our heart rate, speeds up our brain. We can't think of everything. We start to focus in during those times on negativity, things that could go wrong. So if we think of somebody who's anxious and in a relationship, whatever they think about when they're anxious is going to seem pretty negative. And if they think about their partner, Mm. what are they going to see? They're going to see every negative thing that that person is, has done in the past, might do to them in the future. So one of the keys of what I talk about in terms of how to deal with anxiety is learning to recognize that that's not the best time when you're anxious to be doing a lot of analyzing of yourself or of your partner. Right. And I think maybe your, your listeners can kind of, you know, if you, if you kind of can see the difference sometimes 
sometimes we think of our partner and we see all the negative things. And other times when we're more relaxed, we're more kind of at ease, we can see both good and bad. We see things in a completely different way. So that's one way, you know, anxiety can affect our relationships. It can affect actually how we even perceive our partner, number one. Now, the second thought, you know, especially germane to your podcast, um, sort of is how it affects intimacy, right? When we're in a highly um, uh, anxious state, we're actually in a protective state. We're not in an open sort of state. Intimacy is almost the complete opposite, right? Intimacy, yeah. Intimacy really involves slowing down, opening up, right? Um, being vulnerable. This goes kind of, this is almost the antithesis to what anxiety is trying to get us to do. Anxiety is assuming we are in danger. And so the last thing we should do is to be open to love and care, um, to ideas that the other person is trying to tell us. It's kind of like a hardening and closing. So yes, anxiety clearly can affect intimacy and relationships. Um, so those are like two main ways, I'd say the perception of the other person and their ability to be intimate in those times are affected. Sure, sure. So how common would you say that anxiety is in the clients or the patients that you see? You know, would you say that since the pandemic it's gotten worse or would you say that it stayed the same? You know, how, how prevalent is this? Uh, highly prevalent. It's probably the most common reason people come to see a psychiatrist by far. Um, uh, maybe depression is a, a distant second, but most people have uh, come to see either a therapist or a psychiatrist because of anxiety. And let's talk, just talk quickly about the different types of anxiety. There's sort of what they call generalized anxiety, which is a difficulty controlling your worries. You know, everyone has worries. Everyone gets worried at times. But for some people, their worries just keep what we call ruminating. They ruminate over them. They just do laps, what I call mental laps with them. They can't get it off their mind. And that can lead to things like insomnia. It can lead to stomach upset. Um, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, for example, is a um, gastrointestinal disease that is highly linked to stress, as an example. Um, headaches, so, you know, migraines, tension headaches are direct, directly related to anxiety. And it's good that we've kind of finally gotten away from this idea that there's like a sort of this, this invisible barrier between our brain and our body. Anything that occurs in our brain can affect our body and vice versa. So, yeah. So it, it's very common. Um, so generalized anxiety is one example of that. Panic attacks is another one. These are very, very sudden and intense discharges of adrenaline that cause people to almost feel like they're going to have a heart attack or pass away. That's another very common form of anxiety. Um, and uh, obsessive compulsive thoughts are another common form. These are thoughts that kind of or worries that get stuck in our head so much that we feel like we have to do a ritual to get rid of them. Checking and rechecking things uh, is an example of that. Um, the final one that's very common is social phobia, social anxiety. So this is when you're around someone and this occurs a lot to, with empathic people. They 
kind of feel what the other person can feel. So they really worry that they're saying or doing something that the other person is going to feel negatively about. So they feel very inhibited going out because they're constantly worrying, oh my gosh, I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to do something wrong. Somebody's taking this the wrong way. And it can actually lead to like avoiding social obligations or really having to endure it with a lot of like difficulty. So these are the common forms of anxiety. For the pandemic, we saw a big uptick in anxiety and depression. The reason is that several things happened in the pandemic. Number one, we were isolated. Number two, we were sedentary, right? We were literally sitting much, much more, right? Number three, um, we had a lot of monotony. There was not much change in our day, right? We were in the same four walls all the time. Number four, we were disconnected from nature. And this is actually an under-recognized reason for anxiety. You know, for thousands and thousands of generations, people like every other kind of animal on the planet was direct, directly connected to nature. And there's a lovely uh, German word. <laughs> it's called Zeitgeber. And a Zeitgeber is something in nature that actually regulates our internal um, hormones. And so helps to kind of like what I call co-regulate us and to calm us down. Example is like, you know, the wind um, in the trees, the sound that makes, or the sound of the ocean, um, or even the sunshine, right? These are all things that were designed to help us actually relax. But in the pandemic in particular, we were so walled off in our kind of sterile environments that we were without these benefits, these regulators. There was a great study that says if you can get two hours a week of just uninterrupted time, completely immersed in all the five senses of nature, that has a big effect on uh, reducing anxiety. So that was another thing that was missing. Wow. Yeah. The final thing that I'll just say with the pandemic and the, especially the early stages is that um, there was a sense of loss of control. We had no idea when we were going to go back, if we were going to go back, you know, if we're going to have jobs, you know, what the economy is going to be like. And whenever there's a sense that we don't have control, that gets our brain trying to fix the problem, sending us a lot of yeah. anxiety. And there, since it's beyond our control, it just keeps revving. So those were all factors that led to anxiety worsening in uh, the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure you probably had like a long wait list of patients trying to come in and be seen for anxiety. I see that, um, you know, it definitely shows up a lot in relationships and, you know, kind of what you were talking about with the intimacy as well, right? So um, oftentimes in the sexual medicine um you know, uh, groups and uh, conferences, they always say that the biggest sexual organ is actually the brain, right? So if your mental health is not that well, or if you have, you know, underlying mental health um, issues going on, then you're definitely not going to have a very good relationship, or you're going to have a lot of problems that you exhibit. And definitely, there'll be decreased desire, decreased libido, all of those things, just because, you are, you know, trying to take care of your anxiety or your depression or your, um, 
other thoughts that may be going through your head. And uh, I read this, uh, actually, it was in the Harvard Business Review. And um, there was an article that was written about how our thoughts, you know, relate to our um, feelings, and then our feelings become our beliefs, and then our beliefs become our actions. So I think that has a lot to, to what you were talking about with uh, anxiety and how certain thoughts just ruminate in your head, right? So if you're, I guess, if you're always thinking bad thoughts or always thinking bad thoughts about your partner, then that's really how you're going to show up in that relationship. You're going to start believing them. You're going to, your feelings are going to start to, you're going to start to have bad feelings toward your partner. You're going to start believing that. And then you're going to act in a certain way toward your partner, whether it's like stonewalling or... Um, just not even talking to them or not communicating with them because you just have ill feelings or ill thoughts about them. Absolutely. That's so well said. And, uh, you know, that's the basis of what they call cognitive therapy, which is that uh, thoughts change the way we feel. Our feelings change the way we behave, right? This is the, and this happens within less than a second in our brain. What we're, and a lot of the therapy is like actually slowing down and seeing how one thing leads to another so that we can actually change those things. To begin with, uh, when we're nervous, when we're anxious, a lot of our thoughts are what are are called distorted. Okay, they're not complete lies, Mm. but again, when we're anxious, our brain is looking for what I call the worst case scenario. So let's just say, for example, I come home and I'm just stressed, you know, maybe work is stressing me out. And then my wife says something to me. My brain, without me asking to it, this is not me intentionally trying to be negative. My brain will fixate on what's the worst possible reason she said that. Like, let's just say, for example, she says, oh, you're home late. My mind is going to say, oh, she's she's judging me, criticizing me for being home late. When she could just be making an observation. Maybe she missed me. Right. Maybe there's something very positive that, you know, could have come out of that. But if I'm in an anxious state, there's enough adrenaline in my body. My mind is naturally going to jump to that automatic thought. And if I don't, if I'm not prepared for that, if I don't realize that if I take that as a truth, then I'm going to feel upset right with her. And then I'm going to say something snippy back (laughs) and then. World War II is going to start, right? It's going to escalate because now I've said something defensive and then she's going to say something defensive. So this is an example of how those things all connect. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, as you were saying that scenario, I was playing it out in my own head with my own relationship. <laughs> I was like, oh, when was the last time I did that? Yeah, I think that happened yesterday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. You're right, right. We have to be very mindful of our thoughts. And um, and that's what I think is so powerful, right, is that once we understand the power of our thoughts then and know that we can actually change our thoughts, right, that it doesn't have to be this way that we actually have control and we have power over our thoughts, then that that to me is actually the most empowering thing, right? So we don't have to be victim to our thoughts. We can actually say, well, you know what? This, this thought is actually not serving me in my relationship or with my children, with my spouse, with my friends, whoever. And, you know, is this really true? And can I change it? You know, is there a way that, another way to look at it so that it doesn't 
um, you know, have a negative effect on me? Is there something positive that I could think of it so that it changes the whole narrative so that I, I don't become defensive? Absolutely. You know, so, so the good news, you know, the good news in all of this is, this, you know, it, it varies with different people, but around the age of 13, 14, we have this capacity for what's called metacognition, which is to be able to think mm. about our thinking, right? Not to just think automatically, mm. but to kind of step and say, oh, do you know, I noticed that I tend to be fairly negative um, or I'm overthinking. We can actually step outside and that's the first step towards control over this process is the noticing. And I think it's a essential first step. People naturally want to just jump to changing their thinking, right? But what's important before that is first notice your thinking. Notice what are the connections between how you think and how you feel, for example, right? And once you do that, you'll get a sense of what are automatic thoughts that pop in your mind in certain situations. And you can notice, for example, which when you're nervous or when you've had a bad moment in your day, rewind the tape. What was the thought that, that started it all going? Right? And mm. just the process itself of doing that is, is the first step in getting control over something that had started off as automatic. The example I just give to people is that your breathing is automatic, right? I don't think any of us right now as we were listening was paying any attention to our breathing, yet it occurred. But if you focus attention to your breathing, you can change your breathing. And that's the exact same thing with your thoughts. They happen automatically, mm. but if you focus attention to them, you can actually change them. And then as you do that, you change the way you feel and then also the way you behave. I love that analogy. That's great, actually. You know, don't mind me if I uh, use that. <laughs> but but that is an excellent analogy. I love it. Right. Absolutely. Right. Just like our breathing is automatic. Our thoughts are automatic and, and we can control them. Yeah, that's very empowering. Um, but I know that we are running up on time, but I, you know, I'd love to have you back and give us some techniques and some ways that we can cope with our anxiety and what we can do. I know that mindfulness uh, plays a big part, I'm sure, in uh, helping with anxiety, as it seems to do with everything, I think, and really in all aspects of relationships, I feel like mindfulness uh, comes up over and over again. And I know that I'm sure that's probably a big component, but um, any parting thoughts? I know that, uh, you know, hopefully next time we'll have you back and you'll give us some techniques as to how to manage and handle our anxiety. But um, any thoughts you'd like to leave us with before uh, we end this part of the segment? Yeah. You know, first of all, just thank you to, for having me. And it's uh, wonderful to get a chance to talk with your viewers and, yeah, the next session where we can focus on our techniques and I'll just kind of give the acronym for it and then we can work on it next time. Yeah. The acronym is uh, NBC, Absolutely. just like the, uh, the, the station. Oh. N is to first notice and name what's kind of going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to notice that you're in an anxious state. B is to befriend it which is an interesting concept mm. because we usually try to do the opposite. We try to push it away and get rid of it. And then to see is to control and channel it. Control in terms of like thoughts and channel with our body, how to express some of the 
energy that's in our body that's associated with anxiety. So we'll, that's sort of a teaser for, for, for next time. <laughs> that's awesome. I can't wait. So, um, well, I guess we are done here and I want to thank you for your time. I know you are super busy and especially in this time during the pandemic, I know there's such a huge mental health crisis and shortage of physicians and therapists throughout the U.S. So I really appreciate your time. I know it's super valuable. And so thank you for sharing your knowledge with the viewers and with the listeners. And, uh, and while I am done here, it's been real and really insightful. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you're having any issues with your mental health or anxiety, please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsalaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.